my really biggest fear is to arrive at some point and realize that I totally botched the priorities. Welcome to the Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut-up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. And now, your hosts and co-shut-uppers of making shit happen, Bernie Shung and Phil Gerbyshack. What's up, shut-uppers? How are you today on this awesome snow day here in Milwaukee and wherever the heck you're watching today? We have David Burkus on, the Myths of Creativity author, smart dude, and overall good guy. David, how the heck are you? I'm good even better now that I got to watch you both dance before we went awesome. on the air, so that's awesome. <laughs> yep. Bernie was doing the funky chicken today. I had a little bit of the Bill Cosby cabbage patch. David, on the other hand, decided not to dance, so screw him. So, Bernie, <laughs> before we get started, haha, David, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be mean, but we might be, but no, we won't. So, but Bernie is our chief stalking officer, and she knows stuff about you, David, even your mother doesn't know, and so she's going to do the formal introduction. I'm just going to say we can't wait to have you on the show. Bernie, take it away. Thanks, Phil. I totally echo that sentiment. Um, I've been really excited to have David on the show since our, our dear friend and fellow secret teamer, C.A. Hurst, told me, dudes, you've got to get this guy on. He's awesome. He's got this amazing book. So I went and stalked David, like Phil said, like I do all of my guests. And I'm not even kidding you. I have a story prepared, and I'll promise to keep this short because this is all about you. And then it'll segue into the first question I have for you to, to really uh, feature you here for your segment today. Okay, cool? All right, so so real quick, back in 2011, um, when I was just starting my budding online business, I was still in a relationship, and in a relationship with a guy who told me, why the heck are you still doing a video blog every week? You're not making any money. And, oh, you call yourself an entrepreneur or you own a business? You don't have employees. And, and it created this, this you know snowball effect of this inner chatter that said, He's right, and who the hell do you think you are? You're not an entrepreneur. You're not a business owner. You're not creative. You suck. I killed the video blog, David, um, and I started to question myself whether I should keep moving forward with my coaching business, which is primarily what I do in addition to speaking and, and writing. And in that moment of you know paralysis right, and fear, um, I made the toughest decision to kind of let go of the creativity and it, it stunted my growth for a good five, six months. And then shortly after that, I, I picked it back up and it fueled me to go back and be creative again and say, screw that. I am a creative and here's what I'm going to go do. Fast forward to today, it's nearly two years later, we've got the show. I'm not even kidding you, and we've got 80-plus episodes, and we've had some amazing people, including yourself, Chris Brogan, Peter Shankman, like entrepreneurs and amazing people who come on talking about fear and having their creativity stunted. That being said, the introduction for you is I know you are the guy to talk to about what happened in my head and about how Phil and I were even able to, to produce a show like this where we talk about fear and how to break through to the other side. So with that, welcome. 
And what do you have to say about that, mister? <laughs> um, you, I love that this is titled The Shut Up Show, and I get that it's shut up shut up and work, but to that guy, you probably just sort of said shut up to begin with. Um, I, I absolutely, I have to say on a personal note, I love that story because it, it resonates with my own so much. So I started this whole thing in uh, 2010. January 1st of 2010 is this sort of official launch date of the podcast that I started, although we recorded some episodes ahead of time. And that's really how I started out. No, I had no idea how else to express myself. Right? I was a grad student. I was a young grad student, absolutely no platform. Right? I live in the center of arts and cultural progress that is Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is, is actually like a really small little hidden gem of an, an Austin, Texas. So it's a cool city, but not a lot of people know that. right? And you're not all connected. You don't have the benefits of a New York, whatever. And I started thinking, I got this idea of, well, if I had a podcast, maybe I could convince famous people to talk to me. right? This is a whole idea. And we, uh, I say we, uh, I still say we now that even though we means we, but at first I kept using we to refer to this podcast and it was myself and the MacBook that's sitting in front of me right now, right? That's, that was we, the, me and the MacBook. And we just kind of kept it up and you get, you get people that say the exact same thing. Like, why are you doing this? You're not doing it. You get a couple of people who get it that are like, but even their get it is, oh, well, at least you're having some fun or whatever. No, I don't think anybody understood the plan, the overall plan of, no, I'm doing this. This is the first entrance into it and, it, and it will lead to all of these different things. And now, I mean, I I go back and forth with this idea with some of my uh, more entrepreneurially inclined friends of what even constitutes an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, entrepreneur, all these terms. Um, but now, I mean, I consider myself in that. I considered myself that way before, even though there was no money to be made because it's a long haul, it's a marathon. And now, now with writing this book, I mean, a, a book... A book is a startup, if you really think about it. Or at the very least, you your book is the first product of a startup that is that is you, right? I think it was I think it was Jay Z that said, "I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man," and I've been trying to look at myself like that ever since we we signed the contract on the book, et cetera. That there are all of these different things going on. Now, what was going on in your inside your own head, inside his head, when he was saying that to you is unfortunately. We've told ourselves all of this junk about creativity, about who's creative and who's not that really has no basis in science, no basis in reality. It just comes up from, I use the term myths because creativity is a hard thing to explain. And whenever we face something that's hard to explain, we, we usually run into the exact same thing. We basically just tell ourselves a story and then look for confirming evidence of the story instead of looking for real evidence. And over time, what you get is people segmenting it out and saying only these type of people are doing creative work, only these type of people have the genes to be creative. And it's all junk. If you dig into how we're hardwired into our psychology, into neuroscience, everybody's wired to be creative. Everybody can come up with ideas that are valuable. Everybody does. The, the question is whether or not you're willing to recognize it and put in the work to develop it and cultivate it. Wow. Wow. So everybody's creative, huh? So yeah. what about the, so so I'm just going to challenge that because we hear this all the time, David. Everybody's creative. Well, what about the engineer? What about the garbage man? What about the the funeral director? Where's their creativity, and how does how does that manifest itself? Because because of course, on the surface, I just want to agree with you and say, yay, creativity. But I also want to I I also want to challenge that. Talk talk us through that. How can you be creative when you're not in a creative role? Okay, so I'll start with, uh, I love that you actually set the very last part of your question. I'll start with this. There is a difference between creativity and a skill set. Right? Creativity is the ability to generate ideas that are novel and useful or, or original and valuable, whatever two words you want to use, but generally that are relatively new or new to that area and that people find a value. 
that that is a technique that is a thing you develop in your in your head that's something you're hardwired to do now a skill set is different and and one of the things we've done over time is we've said that only certain industries only certain uh, only certain skill sets etc are creative right the creative arts the creative industries and, and I don't know that that's true right every engineer has to do nothing but problem solve all day they take the unique challenges of what the client presents the challenges of physics and they have to come up with a very original and new and certainly valuable at least based on pay scale uh, new ways to figure out how to solve a client's problem based on everything they know that's creativity now there's a difference in that and their skill set and I think interestingly one of the things we who don't work in the traditional creative industries I guess I shouldn't say we anymore I now I'm a writer so I gotta go back to that right but for a while I think there's a tendency to think even bloggers and, and podcast hosts aren't all that creative but I kinda just wanna you know elbow people like that in the face but whatever um, <laughs> I love it um, Phil is punching wildly at me that's awesome so but even the people who work in those creative industries I think have a tendency to mix their skill sets you know their knowledge of Photoshop their knowledge of good design their knowledge of all of Adobe Creative Suite right and their ability to generate novel and useful ideas. You can be a whiz in Photoshop and still not be able to come up with an original idea, right? And the other thing is I feel like you do that at your detriment, right? Because if it's if you think that you are the only person that has a, a niche into creativity in graphic design, let's say, or in music, or, or you're one of a small tribe of people that have this magical skill called creativity, then you're up for a rude awakening when somebody else comes up underneath you because what you're not realizing is there are your skills and there's your creativity and both are important. You need to be developing both alongside of each other. I have a quick question. I mean, I, 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 we're going to digress a little bit, but I think that there is a parallel here. But you, you, you said before, really quickly, you said, oh, my gosh, I share very similar experiences, your story, Bernie. And I would love for you to dive into that because one of the questions we tend to ask here on the show is, was there a defining moment in your life where you're like, enough is enough, this is it, and here's what I'm going to go do? And I kind of feel like maybe that's the genesis of the book. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, in a way, right? In, in a way, I think every book is a way to silence internal and external critics, right? Uh, it, it kind of in order to answer that question is, all right, I'm going to have to back up a long, long time ago, right? I knew, and this is something that I think is really cool on the tail end. My wife and I were actually just talking about it last night. I knew that I was going to be a writer and that I was going to write books and that I was going to travel around and speak since I was 14 years old, right? I knew that. Now, when I was 14, I had no idea how I was going to do it, right? I looked at later, I, I was involved in literary magazine and newspaper and all the things you do in high school when you're, when you're into writing, right? And I assumed that that meant I was going to try and be a novelist or some sort of starving poet. Or, or, or if I didn't make it, I would go teach English at some local university, right? Um, wh whatever it is, right? I assumed that would happen. And so naturally, when I was looking into college uh, degrees, I gravitated towards English and writing. I looked at a variety of different fields. Within that, and ultimately, I kind of chose literary writing as a, as a field. What was really interesting is a lot of schools will have uh, sort of an English program, a writing program, or and and then a technical writing program, which is more writing manuals, but actually better suited for writing nonfiction, writing web copy, that kind of stuff. I I thought I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to be creative, right? So I have to be literary writing. I can't be any of the others. So I started as a literary writing major, and then a couple things happened in college to me. One was I got bit by a little bit of a science org behavior bug, right? I really loved the study of people, how they interact, how they're motivated, how to get them motivated, that kind of stuff. And I also noticed that a lot of the writing in those fields was um, crap, 
right? That a lot of people who write nonfiction business books have no idea how to write. And if it weren't for an editor, it would be totally unreadable, right? There were a couple exceptions at this time. This was right around when the tipping point was getting really, really big. And I began to see, wait a minute, there's this, there's a field here. There's the niche here that you can carve. If you know how to write well, you can write nonfiction well. And so that was sort of my dedicated, this is what I'm going to do. But like any college graduate, you don't come out being able to do that, right? So I got the very best job that I felt like I could get that would allow me to do these things. I got a job as a pharmaceutical rep. I literally sold drugs out of the back of my car for five years, right? And a, a, needless to say, a bunch of different things happened that it was, it was a, it was a well-paying job. I mean, I was working for, for big evil pharma, so it was definitely well-paid, right? It, it only cost your soul, but it's fun. Um, but it also gave me a, a lot of time to pursue all the stuff that I wanted to pursue. But really what, what was really interesting to me is I started writing all these articles. I started the, pod, the podcast while I was uh, as a pharmaceutical rep. Thankfully, you know, 2007, the iPhone came out, and I could actually be traveling around, sitting in doctor's offices, waiting to talk to them, and also tweeting and, and promoting and, and writing stuff on the phone that would allow me to kind of keep these two businesses side to side forever. But it got frustrating, and eventually, as you build, you begin to pick up momentum, you realize there's a whole class of people that just don't see you as that, right? And having to switch between those two different mindsets was just in, incredibly frustrating. And so eventually, I kind of, I came to a head, a, a lot of different things happened, I, but I remember exactly where I was when it came to a head. I was in San Antonio. Uh, I had just visited the Alamo for the very first time, which I thought was interesting, a very good place for a last stand, Right. And the very next day, I visited the Alamo on a Sunday evening, kind of around sunset, really sort of cool, poetic moment, right? And the very next morning, I was in a meeting of our entire pharmaceutical company. And these, when you're a sales rep, they have these quarterly meetings that are meant to just motivate you, right? Get you pumped up, tell you about the new drugs, the new marketing pieces, get you all excited, bring in a motivational speaker, right? Chris Farley will tell you how you need to sell or you're going to live in a van down by the river, that type of thing. And I was so incredibly bored. And so I, I, I don't know where this idea came to me. Actually, I do now, but I don't know then. Uh, I, I look back and I read an article by uh, Jim Collins about commitment devices. And so I decided to make my own commitment device. I opened my company laptop in the middle of a company meeting, and I opened up Word, and I typed my resignation letter. And I dated it uh, for June 5th of the following year, right? It was, this was around the fall of, of one year, and I dated it for June 5th of the following year, which would have been my five-year anniversary date in the pharmaceutical industry. And I came home, and I printed it out, and I signed it, and I hung it on the door of my home office, and I told my wife, if I haven't found a new job by this day, mail this letter, because I'm done, right? I'll make it five years, but I'm done. I have to go back to what I really feel like I want to do, which is, is host the podcast, which is write about leadership, innovation, and strategy, right? And so long story short, I began to look at all these different options, all these different ways that I could find uh, to get out and get everything under one unified mind. And on June 2nd, because I like to cut it close, on June 2nd, I had my final round interview to become a university professor. Uh, it, it's not, I don't teach at a giant um, research one institution. I don't teach at an Ivy League school. What I found was I found a university that was willing to pay me a little bit of money but just care that I was in the classroom, not doing bland academic research, whatever. I cut my salary in half, right? What I, what I decided to sign for was half of what I was making as a pharmaceutical rep, but it was worth it because I had the time to finally go, okay, forget this whole pharma sales thing, even forget the normal academic research thing. This is what I want to do. I want to take my writing skills and I want to translate other people's good ideas, other people's research into a way that's accessible. And, and naturally through all of that and through what everybody was telling me, when, when you switch from saying you want to be a novelist to saying you want to be a business book writer, there's a lot of people that say, well, I thought you were more creative than that. 
Well, that's where that whole joke about just kind of wanting to elbow him in the face comes in, right? Because when you start to understand the science, you realize, okay, you're obviously using some other definition of creativity than what I have. And so the, thus, silencing the critics, let's write a whole book about it, right? And, and no one, the, the funny thing is, ever since when you publish a book with creativity in the title, no one ever tells you you're not creative anymore. That's a great trick, David. So, so my next book is going to be Creative Ways to Think Creatively by an Uncreative Guy. So that's good. So <clears throat> good to know. Or really anything you want to be known about. Just, just make that the title. Of the, work it into the subtitle and boom, you're good to go. Yeah. That's, well, that's why we call their show The Shut Up Show. We just want to be known for telling people to shut up. So, hey, it works. So far, so good. Yeah. So um, in all seriousness, though, I like the commitment device. That's, that's really strong. I gave a two-year notice in corporate America, a similar commitment device, and that really does work. So if folks are looking for an anchor on how to really achieve your dream, set up a commitment device, check that out. That's really, really good. And that's really brave. But, David, weren't you at all afraid about the fact that, well, what happens if I don't make enough money? Or what happens if my wife decides that she really likes the lifestyle that we had as a pharmaceutical salesperson? I mean, was there any fear there? Or were you just like, well, screw this. I'm just going to do it, man, because it's awesome. <laughs> it is, and it is awesome. There are, there's always risks. Right? But there's, there's this great line that Anais Nin, who's a writer, says that, that she's describing, I, I assume it's a butterfly, I hope, right? Or, or it might be, a, it's probably a flower, actually, now that I think about it. And she talks about risks, and she talks about there comes a time when the risks of remaining in the bud outweigh the risk of blossoming. And that's really what I hit that day in the Alamo, is I, I realized that, yeah, there, there are definitely risks. I might, I might not find something. Right, and there are definitely risks from that. Now, I, I tried to mitigate those as much as possible. We started packing away money and savings as much as possible in that nine months that was left to try and mitigate the risk. But eventually, I think everybody gets to the point where the risks of staying in their comfort zone drastically outweigh the risks of taking a shot. Yeah, totally, totally agree, totally agree. So, so, David, where did you get this bravery from? I mean, this is not easy to just make that. Leap. I get that what you're saying about risk, right? And sometimes that that is true, but sometimes right, we get kind of fat and happy, and we're like, okay, well, this is my life. This is the way I want it to be. And uh, you know, if I never take another risk, hey, this is good enough. So how did you how do you develop that bravery? Is that muscles that you learned from your family, or was this just you know, did you go to a class and walk on fire with Tony Robbins, or what? Yeah, you know it's ironic. That's actually been one of my goals for a really long time. Not, I, I want to do the walk on fire part without sitting through the rest of the Tony Robbins spiel, right? I feel like can I just show up on Friday night and give you like twenty bucks and just run out there and do it, right? Just to say I've done it because there's not a lot of places. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of places where you can just run out and uh, and walk on fire, right? And I don't trust myself enough to just set it up in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> On on the note about risks and, and risk taking, et cetera, I, I think I wish I could point to a class, et cetera. I, I think there's a real there's a there's a really cool there's a researcher named Carol Dweck and and I first came about this. I have to give a, a head nod to one of my good friends, Peter Sims, who first wrote about it, but Carol Dweck then sort of wrote this whole book about growth versus fixed mindset. And and really one of the things I've learned is that I, I applaud my parents for it, I applaud teachers for it. Uh, and also you develop yourself, but there, there are, you can grow up with either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And a growth mindset says if I put in the time, if I put in the work, I can get better, right? Now, 
you have to sort of know your limitations. I'm never going to play for the NBA, right? So they're not. There are some things that I can get better at, but it won't be good enough to be world class. But you can always get better, sort of, with practice. And a fixed mindset says, however, whatever my genetic coding is, that sets the limits on how much I can do. And obviously, people with a growth mindset are more likely to sort of take those risks. So they realize it's not when you have a growth mindset, it's not win or lose; it's win or learn. And so that was that was my thing. It'll be painful, right? But but I mean, I went to college. That taught me how to live on very little money, right? So I knew it would be painful, but you you learn and you pivot and you get better, right? And so that, so that was a lot of it was really trying to develop that sort of growth mindset. And the book we in the book I don't necessarily talk about the growth mindset, but I point out a lot of the different misconceptions that fixed mindset people have about their own creativity. And and I think it starts if I can start with anything, it's understand that, and by the way, I should say that in Dweck's research, we don't know which one is right, right? We don't know how to neurosciencely prove growth or fixed mindset. What we know is that if you believe you have a growth mindset, you'll develop one, right? And so that's the start, is just put on the growth mindset hat, and then it's not win or lose, then it's win or learn. Win or lose. <laughs> that's genius! I, I'm I have, sure I, so I, many smart bombs, David. Well, I stole that one from someone, and I have I have no idea. But it's ironically, that's a, that's another creativity myth, right? This myth of originality. I just, I stole it all. So whatever. I think we all kind of do, don't we? And just oh, totally. modify it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Phil. He, uh, David said something about painful, so I think it's time to ask the painful question. Do you mind if I ask it? No, I was gonna say, yeah, you got it today, Burn. Yeah, cool. So so we have this this magic question we ask every guest, and we kind of started doing it after the first few episodes when we realized this is the one that makes everybody go like, oh, hold on, let me think about that. So so you've seen a lot of great success in, in what you wanted to do uh, from a creative uh, standpoint, David. I mean, you know, you've had the sales experience. Uh, you've authored this amazing book that I can't wait to read that's been endorsed by Dan Pink, from what I understand. You named up a couple awesome people that Phil and I both have heard of, so you must be doing something right. But right now, today as we sit here, uh, seriously, what are you afraid of right now, David? I mean, I can imagine there still is something. What would that be? So I think there's a there's a small term, and this is the uh-oh, right? Uh, so I'm stalling as I figure this one out. I think there's always a small term. I, I'm always afraid when I push publish, right, on on any piece that I write. And and in fact, I mean, I wrote last July was I got my sort of one of my big breaks, which is to to put a piece on the Harvard Business Review blog, which was super exciting. And I made the mistake of reading a lot of comments, right? And that reiterates this sort of fear of, oh, what if people disagree? What if people don't understand it, et cetera? Um, so I think there's there's always there's always that sort of fear. Um, I, I actually think, though, that my 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 sort of deepest fear is there are times where you feel like there are things you're supposed to say and you you kind of you don't say them, right? And and one of the things I'm dealing with now, I didn't anticipate this when I all started. And this is really quite weird. Is, so I, I have a son that is uh, just, just about to turn two years old, and we have another one on the way, which is sort of crazy, right? Because what I see in a lot of people's lives is that when kids come into the equation, you suddenly, it becomes even easier to stay in the comfort zone, right? It becomes even easier. If I, if I hadn't have left the big comfy pharma sales job by the time uh, before I had had kids, I don't know that I, I would have because it's even easier to take the excuse of they're used to that lifestyle, and so I, I've had two years in experience of this whole being a parent thing, and I still, I don't know that I've nailed how to be a parent and how to also do everything in the world that that I want to do, right? And and life consists of trade-offs, right? I, I don't, I tell, I tell this to my students all the time. It's not a matter of not having time for things. No one has enough time for things. 
It's a matter of having priorities. And so I think my biggest fear is to get to some endpoint, some reflective point, and realize that I had my priorities wrong, right? Obviously, family is, is incredibly important, but there's also there's so many other things that I draw my energy from that are kind of outside that. And, and it's not a balanced thing. It's an integration and prioritizing thing. So my... My really biggest fear is to arrive at some point and realize that I totally botched the priorities, right? And for most people, I think that's that's either spending not enough time with the kids. I, I almost wonder if, if there are times where I'm thinking maybe I spent too much at a certain period of time, right? Because there is no manual for how to do this. So that's my my big crippling fear is getting to the point, uh, getting to some end point, getting to some reflection point and realizing I had all of these priorities sort of wrong, right? Because the costs of that are, I think, bigger than the costs of just not trying. Right, and thank you so much for sharing that here. I know that this is kind of the toughest question to answer in a conversation like this because you are put on the spot and you're talking about something so vulnerable that, that you know, it's kind of like this is the human side of us where it's like, I'm awesome, I have this amazing book, I have all these great friends, and oh my God, I'm still afraid every single day. Right, so. no, totally, and, and, and especially, especially weird here because one, one of my default jokes when I meet people that I've met through the online space, and, and anybody that's watching when I meet you in person, I'll probably say this, I'm way cooler online, right? And, but it's because questions like that don't get asked. So you, you end up not being your real self. You end up being some cooler, highly fluffed version of yourself. So I, I love it. I'm, I'm willing to sort of take that, although it'll somewhat dampen my I'm way cooler online phrase. But <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to make sure that quote gets on the show notes when we do publish this. But do you have a T-shirt? That's the question we'd like to know. The Mr. Creativity book on the back, I'm way cooler online in a picture of you on the front. <laughs> We'd I feel like it. I should have business cards that just say that, right? Normal, normal contact information on the front and then the back. Like I'm way cooler online, so go here. Yeah, that's like I'm big on Twitter. Scott Stratton's old phrase. So that right. So cool, man. Well, I actually, Bernie lied. That is not the hardest question. The hardest question is now. We want you to self-promote yourself, David, because we want our viewers to get some more of your awesome sauce, man. We want them to know where they can connect with you, how they can engage with the myths of creativity, and how they can learn more from you. Because in 30 minutes, we learned a ton, but we know there's a ton more to learn. So please self-promote and let us know how we can catch some of your awesome. Well, so after after I tell everybody the place that I'm worried about sucking in, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the awesome. So uh, number one, I'm, I'm way cooler online, right? So right here is, is probably the biggest, right? I mean, for, first of all, uh, Bernie even said she can't wait to read the book, but she did me a huge favor because she she bought it, right? And and I care about getting the message out and reading it, but my publisher cares about people buying it, right? So uh, so you can find out way more information about the book on my site, davidberkus.com. But really, the other cool thing you can do there is find however you want to connect with with me, right? My preference is I send out an email newsletter that has all sorts of free goodies attached to signing up for it. So I encourage you to sign up for that. It's pretty easy to find on my site. But if you're a Twitter person, I'm on Twitter. If you're a Facebook person, I'm on Facebook. If you're a Google Plus person, which basically means you work for Google or you're like maybe another 10% of the online world that gets Shush! it. Shush! We uh, love I'm Google there, Plus! I'm there too. Yes, we do too. We love, we salute the gods of Google Plus. Uh, if, if that's your thing, I'm there. I'm, I'm everywhere but Pinterest because uh, my wife got really into Pinterest and I gained 15 pounds. So we're, I'm everywhere you want to connect other than Pinterest. Uh, but it all starts right there at that site, davidberkus.com. So check check that out. Uh, and if you want to jump, do me a huge favor and do me a huge nod, just jump right to Amazon and type the name in. But in the meantime, davidberkus.com is the best one. I'd love to connect with everybody. Awesome. And if you're looking to go out with David, that would be on match.com or plentyoffish.com. His wife doesn't know because he gained 15 pounds on Pinterest. Good stuff. No, in all seriousness, David, you're awesome, dude. Thanks for helping us overcome our myths of creativity and learning from you and being unafraid to share your fears because you really are awesome, dude. Even though 
you have fear, everybody has fear. So thank you. Uh, well, 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 thank you. And thank you guys for building this. That takes a lot. And I'm so grateful that you would even share it with me. So thank you so much. Heck yeah. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thank you for joining the Shut Up Show. It was another amazing episode, and we really appreciate you being here. If you don't want to miss another episode, simply go to our homepage and click the subscribe button or go to theshutupshow.com slash subscribe and we'll deliver an episode to you one to three times a week. If you haven't already done so, please consider leaving us a star rating and comment on iTunes. That's the only way we can prove the show just for you. The Shut Up Show is sponsored by The Amazing Cells. That's S-E-L-Z dot com. If you want seriously simple selling, you got to go check them out today. Until next time, folks, shut up and make shit happen.